0: All right, that's my cue. Um, uh, It's good good to be with you all uh, uh, this evening. We're continuing, so, we're starting this school year uh, in a series in the Beatitudes. That's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount being Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So, I'm going to read just the first 10 verses of Matthew chapter 5, and then I'm going to speak, especially on verse 3, the first of the eight Beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit. But I'm gonna read the whole section. Um, So follow along with me. Uh, uh, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, uh, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And we'll go back to to verse 3. So we're, we're starting tonight specifically with blessed are the poor in spirit. We're going to spend a week on each of these eight Beatitudes. Uh, what does the word Beatitude mean? It means blessing. That's what it says. It says, you know, blessed are, what does it mean to be blessed? Um, uh, happy, um, good, whole, uh, um, happy in the deepest, strongest sense, uh, in a sense perhaps in which we don't truly understand. Blessed are a happiness coming from God himself. Uh, and And this start this series of of, of beatitudes you know it sets a, it sets a um uh, the character of the Christian you know I had this once I was on our winter retreat, and I was talking to a guy uh, you know who was a senior and he'd gotten engaged to be married to you know his his uh, girlfriend now wife you know he they'd met working in Christian camps together for foster kids um, out in California and I asked him like how did you know?" she was the one uh maybe we shouldn't ask the question that way but that's how i asked how did you know you wanted to marry her and he said well i was reading the beatitudes and i was like she fits these and i'm like i and he said i I should marry her and i was like that's brilliant um you know like you want to list like what qualities look at this this is the character of a christian this isn't about how you discern on dating they should put that on tinder right you know how many of the beatitudes do you fit um uh, what you know rating of your your hunger and thirst for righteousness or your peacemaker ability or how well do you show mercy in truth these are crucial uh certainly actually for any functioning relationship romantic or otherwise friendship um they're crucial uh for for happiness you know until the famous quote from Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, you know, that Elizabeth Bennett says to her sister Jane, until I have your goodness, I can never have your happiness. Um, They're crucial for happiness. Um, to have this kind of character, and so this is the character of the Christian. The Sermon on the Mount. You know, people want to jump straight to like, oh, turn the other cheek. Is that is that meant literally? Do I literally have to turn the other cheek? Do I literally have to give someone my cloak? Do I actually have to go with them the second mile? You know, when we finally get back back to campus, do I actually have to help my friends move into their dorms? The like furniture that they have no business putting in a dorm room. People want to jump to that, but the foundation of the Sermon on the Mount of all that. Um, vision of what it looks like to live a life as a Christian that follows in the rest of chapter five and then chapter six and chapter seven. It starts here in the Beatitudes with the character of the Christian. And it starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. I had this, you know, and this is hard. What does that mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I, I want to say, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Oh, well, let's throw up first. Uh, this is a quote, maybe Bill, you can throw this out from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Let me just read this. This is what Lloyd-Jones, he was a Welsh preacher in London uh, back in the mid-20th century. These Beatitudes crush me to the ground. They show me my utter helplessness. Were it not for the new birth, new birth in Christ, I am undone. Read and study it. Face yourself in the light of it. It will drive you to see your ultimate need of the rebirth and the gracious operation of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that so leads to the gospel and its grace as the Sermon on the Mount. There's nothing that leads to the gospel and its grace as the Sermon on the Mount. What what is Lloyd-Jones getting at? You know, when we read these Beatitudes, if we think like, oh, this is the character of the Christian, or this is what's necessary for life following God, or necessary for truly a blessed and happy life, you know, that is crushing. Because when you read this, is this what you see in yourself? A peacemaker, merciful, pure in heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, meek, able to mourn, able to uh, be persecuted for this, for, for God's sake, poor in spirit. Is this what you see? It's not. When I look in my life, you know, if Christina, my wife, made a list of my like most obvious um, character qualities. I don't know how well it would match um, the Beatitudes. And uh, so, where does the Beatitudes start? It points us to our need for a savior. Who is the person who is poor in spirit? Well, and maybe, Bill, you can throw up that quote from J.C. Ryle. And Ryle gets to it well. And this is what uh, J.C. Ryle said. He said, the Lord Jesus calls those blessed who are poor in spirit. He means the humble and lowly-minded and self-abased. He means those who are deeply convinced of their own sinfulness in God's sight. Those are they who are not wise in their own eyes and holy in their own sight. They are not rich and increased with goods. They do not fancy, they need nothing. They regard themselves as wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Blessed are all such. Humility is the very first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. We must begin low if we would build high. He's drawing there on uh, Revelation 3.17 where the church in Laodicea think of of themselves we are rich and need nothing, whereas in fact they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Humility is that first letter in our alphabet as Christians. We must begin low if we would build high. You know, Princeton's built actually on that in its own way. Um, We must begin low if we would build high, right? What do they do with your first assignment, your first uh, essay at Princeton? The lowest grade I ever got on an essay was I think the first essay I ever handed in at Princeton, right? They just have a principle, right? We need to knock these like over o- overachievers down a peg. We need to remind them how low they are <laughs> in order they can, you know, and they never, they never give up on that. You go to like dissertation defense. I do this because I, I, I'm working in grad ministry with, with PCF. You go to dissertation defenses. And it's like, even there, they're giving you the dissertation. They're welcoming you into the guild of academics, but they still always make a point at least one of the, the committee members to cut you down and remind you, you don't have tenure yet. You know, you're no full professor. All right. They, they bring you low um, first before you can build high. Well, this, this is a really foundational aspect of how we approach God. First, we must be poor in spirit, twofold, humble, recognizing we did not make ourselves God, made us humble. And, and secondly, also re- repentant. Recognizing not just that we're we're created by God, but also that we've uh, done wrong in God's sight. Recognizing uh, our our need for a savior. Recognizing it. Repenting. Able to repent and confess. That's that'll show up in the the discussion questions. Do you have that practice? Do you know how to do that practically to confess your sin to God and to receive forgiveness, to receive mercy, um, to receive uh entrance into the kingdom of heaven that's promised to those who are poor in spirit this poor in spirit and you know that's tough it's deeply countercultural. uh this years ago one of my friends one of my classmates uh in pcf she on the uh winter retreat she was doing a survey and this for a senior thesis she was in psychology social psych and her it was like well-being and the questions were you know to measure some of you have heard me tell this example before the questions to measure well-being were like are you confident in your own like uh inherent worth as a human being or I, it was all this like of positive self talk you know are you able to achieve your dreams through your own efforts or, or what have you and here we're all like good Christians, poor in spirit, and so we're like, can I achieve on my own efforts? what can I achieve nothing <laughs> a part of one you know it's like scale one out of ten you know um and what can I achieve apart from God? What good can I accomplish in this world apart from God? My need is total for God's forgiveness, total and absolute. So people were doing this and you know, she got these results and it's like these Christians are the most, according to their presuppositions, which were that you could only be happy if you thought you were a great person. She said, these Christians are mentally ill. Right, what's gone wrong? And I'm like, look around you, we're not mentally ill. We're like, what are the healthiest group of people at Princeton by any objective measure of well-being, other than the arbitrary ones you've thrown on your social psychology survey? Um, but there's a challenge there between what American culture, what our world teaches us, which is you only have worth if you can achieve. If you can be better than other people, if you have confidence in yourself if you depend on yourself, if you discover your own dreams and achieve those dreams. and I, I want to say to you, well, first, that's a very, very harsh standard. If, if my worth is dependent on my own moral value, my own moral achievement, that I haven't done anything truly wrong, there's such fragility there. If it's dependent on my performance uh, or whether or not I achieve whatever dreams I've decided I have, that's a harsh, harsh standard. One of the powers of being poor in spirit is it gives us an ability to just face the truth, which is that we are in need of a savior. We can just look in the eyes the hard things in our own lives and on other people's lives and not hide from them. We don't just have to cloak ourselves in positive self-talk, but we can come to grips with our need for God. We can say, no, I am second and God is first. But it doesn't stop there being poor in spirit because there's a promise with each beatitude. There's a promise and the promise here is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the promise that's in the first beatitude and also in the last and the eighth one. This is what encircles the beatitudes for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus came to do, to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven. He started it, it will reach its fulfillment when he returns, but he started it. And so what is it for the one who is poor in spirit? On the one hand, they've begun low, as Ryle puts it, they've begun low, but from that point, God builds us high. He builds us high, not based on our own strength, not based on our own uh, sense of self-worth, but based on what Christ has accomplished. He doesn't merely provide a way out from our sins. He provides us new life. He provides us a role in a kingdom as children of the King with confidence, with a mission, with purpose. Not dependent on our own effort, but dependent on what God has done, on what Christ has done on the cross. And so our purpose is uh, a, a true one, a powerful one the tools we have to do it as Christians in the spirit are effective and not dependent on ourselves, but dependent on who Christ is. And so we can persevere rather than crack. And so rather than depending, focusing our lives is so much of what our culture tells us to do on things that ultimately do not satisfy and do not lead to blessedness. Instead, the poor in spirit, we lay aside our lives and then we receive new life from Christ we humble ourselves we repent and we enter into the kingdom of heaven and we live our lives as servants of the kingdom of heaven it's not there's a danger in language of poor in spirit sometimes it reads as like does this mean i need to be like have no confidence in my own abilities is like is diffidence is negative self talk somehow a, a virtue and I want to I want to caution against that. You think of the example of Peter. You know, Peter the apostle was a bold guy. I mean, he was so bold as to rebuke Jesus when he thought Jesus was wrong. It didn't end well for him. But you know, he was a bold guy. But even then, when when you you know we, we see when Jesus when he saw Jesus perform miracles early on, uh, perform this miraculous catch of fish, he he said he said, "Depart from me because I am a sinful man." He recognized as bold as he was, that he was in need of a savior. And ultimately, as a following, in following Christ, he, it didn't make him less bold. It didn't mean that uh, after Christ had uh, uh, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven that Peter just stayed home because he said, oh, woe is me, I'm poor and incapable. No, he went out in tremendous boldness and confidence in service to Christ's kingdom. A kind of boldness and confidence that comes only from knowing God as father in heaven. And Jesus Christ as your brother and as your savior and as your Lord. So it's not this poor in spirit, you know, people struggle over this, you know, David Zamora, who was leading, you know, last year, I think, was reading uh, Nietzsche for class, you know, and he comes to me and Nietzsche hated this language. Don't bother with Nietzsche, Um, but Nietzsche hated this language because he's like the strong should rule. I mean, Nietzsche died of syphilis, like he he was not the strong and he didn't know it, but he wanted to be the strong. That's the deceitfulness of sin. I, in my own power, should rule. This foolishness doesn't even lead to the happiness it's supposed to lead to. What has God called us to? He's called us to be poor in spirit. And in that poverty of spirit, we enter into his kingdom. We are brought low. But then we are filled up. And these, the, the Beatitudes that follow come back week by week on Friday night. We're going to unpack them. The Beatitudes that follow are that full filling up, right? Those who can mourn, those who are meek, who then hunger and thirst for righteousness, who then are merciful and peacemakers and pure in heart, who can stand up in the face of persecution, that blessedness with which we're filled, the character of the Christian that enables us to live out the. Uh, beautiful truth of the sermon on the mount the teaching of the sermon on the mount to be marked by that uh, transformed and redeemed character so it's not a matter of, of dividends or negative self-talk i've spent years you know just in uh, for christine and my wife like giving her positive self talk. you know often um, you know i'm like yes you are smarter and harder working <laughs> you know you do deserve you know when she first went out of law school and she had this great job and she was just like how, why on earth have they hired me? I'm like, no, you are in fact that smart. (laughs) It's not, the poor in spirit is not like denying um, the gifts that God has given you, but it is recognizing like the centurion who said, I know what it is, the centurion, a Roman soldier, who said, I know what it is to give commands, but he went to Jesus to ask for healing because he knew Jesus had a greater power to give commands. Whatever gifts and skills you have tremendous though they may be in all sorts of spheres, they are nothing uh, compared to God. And so before God, we come in humility. And before God, we recognize our sin and we, we repent. And in Christ, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we go forth with great confidence, with great hope, with great joy, receiving God's grace and mercy, receiving his mission to love others. And we are built up step by step. And so we can approach the Beatitudes like Lloyd-Jones was saying, and not just be crushed by them, maybe initially be crushed by them, like, oh man, if this is the standard, who am I? But rather we can say, no, okay, this is not possible by my own strength, but it's possible by in God's strength and by his, the work of his spirit, laying claim to the sacrifice of his son on the cross for my sins. Amen. Let me let me uh pray and then transition back. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Help us, Lord God. Uh we do pray for your blessing. And we do pray, Lord God, for your your grace in our lives. We we come before you with nothing to offer but our worship. Uh a uh, uh, repentance, yes, where there is sin. Worship because you are glorious and great and worthy of it. Confidence um in the work of your son as Lord and Savior. We pray, Heavenly Father, you would fill our lives uh, this week uh, with, with your blessing. Teach us your word. Enable us to live our lives as those uh, who are who are redeemed uh, by Christ. Help us to approach the, the Sermon on the Mount not as an uh, impossible standard, but rather as very much the fruit of a life lived for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.